I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. You're listening to After Law, broadcasting from the beautiful South Berlin, except no South Hello dear listeners, welcome to an international break edition of Akdung Millwall. What do you do when you've got no Millwall content? Listeners, you talk to Merv Payne because he's normally got a new book out. And here he is, it's Merv. How are you, mate? I'm good, thanks Nick. Thanks for having me on. No, you're welcome. And you do indeed have a fantastic, if I may say so, new book, 30 Millwall's Three Decades at the Den. Um, it's available now on victorpublishing.co.uk, 9.99. Well, I really like this idea, Merv. 12.50 if you want it signed by the author. <laughs> yeah. Um, I like that. that. that yeah, that, <laughs> yeah, that sort of come about a few years ago with one of my previous books. People started saying, oh, can you do me a signed one? And so mm. I thought I'd preempt it and see if there was any take. And, and yeah, some people seem to seem to like. I think it's a nice sort of gift idea sometimes. So, you know. If, if, it's nice. It's nice. Watching, yeah. Yeah. It's a nice production, listeners. I recommend it. It's it is of course this year thirty years, unbelievably, we've been at the new den. But before I speak to Merv about um about the book and, and other matters relating to the world of publishing, um we as you know, every show listeners, we are we have a tie in with Pundit Games, which is a wonderful board game, quiz game, football. You score goals on a board by answering a succession of Football questions, one after the other. If you get five questions in a row, you score a goal. And it's a great you know, subject matters to cover all ages. I think everyone is interested in football, going back to my ancient era, possibly Merv's ancient era too, um, up to the 2010s and the Premier League and, 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 and now pretty much. But before each show, I'm going to go bounce Merv now. I'm going to bounce him with a question, actually, because we give a, a taster question just so that you get a sense of what the, uh, the quiz game's all about. You visit punditgames.co.uk to buy every sale supports the Lions Food Up, so it's a fantastic cause. Everyone made through the, with the Millwall um, uh, linkage on there. Um, but anyway, here's our taste of question. This is going to, I think Merv will get this one. I think Merv will get this one. No pressure. So this, no pressure. <laughs> this comes from um, Premier League football in the 1990s. So I've, I've picked my era for you, Merv. Hmm. Um, some of them are really obscure out there, but this one is, I think, reasonably straightforward. Um, uh, apparently, this player has two first names. I didn't know that, but he was also the first million-pound goalkeeper in British football when he signed for Crystal Palace in 1989. 23 England caps, uh, involved in four major international tournaments. He retired in 2006 with 666 senior appearances. Um, goalkeeper for Crystal Palace. Um, 
Do you want to answer it, Merv? I've got another one to close yeah. this, so you know, answer that um, one if you want. You know what? This, I'm, this is him. <laughs> my he knows. He don't know. I, know. I know exactly who it is. I can see him. I can see his face. I know he signed. He signed from Bristol Rovers. Nigel Martin. That was it. Nigel Martin. You got it. I couldn't, remember, I couldn't remember his bloody name. I'm he's definitely part of my age. I think. I just. I've gone. I go blank with people's names. It's. It's really, really embarrassing. But I'll be in I conversation think... with someone about football yeah. or whatever, and you'll say, "Oh, do you remember?" And I'll, the, the name will just escape me, and I have to describe them. <laughs> so, uh, and I was thinking, I know the feeling. I know the feeling. It's when, it's when his ex girlfriends yeah. that you've been, you've been out right, with, yeah, and yeah. You, know, right. you can't remember yeah. the bloody names. That, that will happen to you, listeners. Don't matter how old you yeah. are, that will happen that, to it, you. That, it came to me. I could see his face. That was, I could see he had a really mustachio. <laughs> yeah. yeah, quite a, quite a pathetic mustache, I think, if I, if I remember. But yeah, I remember him signing for him around about. The t- I think it was just after they got wallop nine 0 at Liverpool. I think. That's right. They brought yeah. him in, I think. I didn't realise he'd played yeah. for England so many times. 23 caps for England. I didn't, no, no, I thought he was on the on the fringes. But, um, yeah, he came to me eventually. But yeah, I'm one of those yeah, people that I'll, I'll sit at home watching the quiz programmes at home, screaming the answers, and I know them all. And then if when I'm actually put on the spot, I just won't get anything. <laughs> <laughs> so I, like, I like the fact that you've got 666, number of the beast, according mm. to Iron Maiden. Yeah. <laughs> senior appearances. Anyway, we'll come. I've got another question to close our conversation. Out, okay, uh, <laughs> you can look forward to that later yeah. on, mate. Um, yeah. So, big welcome, Merv. Um, three decades at the den. Where does the time go, Merv? It's scary, that's isn't incredible. it? That's yeah. That's a whole generation of Millwall supporters who've only known that that stadium, which yeah. is um, it's, it's quite a quite because I I find it interesting talking to supporters of different ages online. Who obviously, you know, some of which don't just didn't know the previous ground, and they're sort of in awe of it, mm. of, of some of the stories about it and the old pictures of it, and they always pop up from time to time on these. I mean, there's some fantastic Facebook groups out of there. Um, yeah. One of them, one of them is co-run by a, 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 a long-time Millwall supporter, and they, they all, all these pictures crop up of the old place, and and obviously with all these modern stadiums now, it looks comically basic, doesn't it? And it's just this big concrete bowl, <laughs> you know, and it's quite quite amusing. But um, and it's it's I think it makes the, the the legend of it even stronger when you know when we we we're so lucky sort of to watch our by football there. Yeah. Um, no, I consider also, myself blessed in, if that's the right word. Yeah, football. I agree. Yeah, yeah, and um, um, like I said, I think people are so used to, to clubs moving ground now, getting new new grounds, and every every ground you go to seems to be one of these these brand new identity kit stadiums. I think people forget. Mill were quite a trailblazer at the time. I think we were only the third, the third club in sort of recent times, or maybe even since the war, to move to a new stadium. I think Walsall and Scunthorpe did it a couple of years before. Scunthorpe it. did it, yeah. I think Walsall had done it, but you know, yeah, mid eighties, I think that was. But in major, I mean, I'm going to be very disparaging on Walsall and Scunthorpe. I don't mean to be, uh, but in major club terms, uh, yeah, we, we were the first brand new stadium, certainly in. In, in league football in modern times from yeah. scratch I'm talking mm. about certainly I think we're the first London new built London stadium since Highbury yep. which was, yeah. Um, yeah yeah shortly after we moved to to Carl Blow Lane so mm. um, it was quite a feat I mean I, I sometimes think um, I mean a lot of us had mixed feelings at the time I don't know how you were Merv but I both wanted the the, the kind of shock of the new but I also knew that we were leaving behind something. At Cold Blow Lane. How did you feel at the time of the move? Were you, were you... Um, 
I can remember, I think I remember where I was when it, when the news sort of broke. I think we were playing Forest away in a midweek game in the old First Division. We got yeah. beat 4-1. It was a mean... And I think that's when, when the news first came out and everyone was quite sceptical about it because we'd had the whole Super Den thing throughout Super the, Den. Yeah, the <laughs> 70s and early 80s. And, but that all focused around redeveloping the existing ground, which I think was, was, was quite acceptable. But the thought of moving somewhere totally yeah. new was really quite it was a bit disturbing if anything and, and in fact a friend of mine who was who i used to go with at the time vowed not to go, not he refused to go if they moved if they left the den but i think that short experience in the in the first division taught us that um we weren't able to make the most of of those you know couple of good years that we had when the place was was packed out certainly the first season yeah. and i think we understood that you had, we had to sort of move with the times and very suddenly the whole game shifted didn't it after that yeah, first well, season in the first division, the money suddenly foot, started pumping into it and, you know, it became... Football was moving on whether we wanted to or not. I, yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I, I take my hat off to Reg Burr because it wasn't... Definitely. It wouldn't have been an easy decision. We, you know, Reg, no. Reg was many many things, but I think he did understand who we were as a club mm, and the, yeah, the, yeah. that very deep sense of identity attached to the ground that Coldblown had been so many good, mm. bad, and then, you know, all sorts of incidents there. So to move was, you know, you were losing something. Um, I, I, yeah, you know, I, I must admit, this has always been my feeling ever since we moved to the, t- I still call it the new ground, listeners. Um, mm. But I really liked the new ground. Um, it was very mm. odd at first when we first got there. I remember being blown away, Merv, on the, the Sporting Lisbon game, thinking, yes, we'd achieve this. It was, in, it was a brand mm. new stadium and I couldn't yeah. quite, um, wrap my head around that fact that this this spanking brand new brilliantly lit continental looking stadium was ours yeah. and we done yeah. because mm. you know you get used to kind of the the little Millwall type of um, idea that we're forever the underdogs. I think it was a real ambitious pitch, wasn't it, by Reg? Yeah, definitely was. I think I think um, Eamon Dumphy's book in the seventies only a game really immortalised it when he de- he described it, didn't he? One of the chapters about looking like. The approach looks like something out of a Jack the Ripper novel or movie a, a or something trap. like that. He described it as a, a trap. trap. That was it, a huge trap. Because you described it both as from the from the uh, viewpoint of him when he was a visiting player with York, and when he yeah. obviously and he realised what an asset it was. I think that was the worry. I remember some friends sort of saying, obviously we we lost that Sporting Lisbon game two two one. Yeah. Um, the first league game when we got we got battered by South End. South End, wasn't it on telly? Yeah, four one. They absolutely. I mean, they absolutely slaughtered us, and there was this yeah. feeling of we've built this ground that everyone else wants to come and play. Everyone's enjoying playing at, you know, and um, we've we've done the complete reverse of what we had at at, at the old place. We've got a place where people think, oh, this is nice. You know, South End, you know, no disrespect, but Root Saul's a bit of a dump and they've come there and thought, this is is, is lovely. This It's made them up the game. But I think, fortunately, we sort of quickly turned that around. I think that first full season, well, the first season at the ground, I think was one of our best home records. We ended up one of our best home records in, in the 30 years. I think we were really strong at home after that little, that little yeah, clip. Mm. I mean, you've you've picked out a whole series of um, good, bad, and ugly games across thirty yeah. years, yeah. listeners. That's probably a good mm. way to put it. But you've picked out one that I, I would have picked out the same because the 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 first time that I really felt that we were at home in our home Murph, was a game you've mm. picked out for that ninety three ninety four season, which was a famous win. 3-0 over Crystal Palace. Yeah. Um, the day of Etienne Levere and mm. it was just the one. It was the first time I remember, um, apart from the initial um, shock and surprise that we'd built this beautiful looking stadium. Um, but that's the first time it felt like home. It felt like a Yeah, I totally agree. Game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
And something that I really like, we were just talking off air listeners about the, the book that Merv's put together here. You've got this great idea of, um, I don't know if they're called barcodes, they're like little scan codes you see at the, the, the supermarket, but I call it a barcode. It's really yeah. not a barcode, I don't know. <laughs> but you can scan it and it'll take you to the YouTube footage. Great, that's a great idea, Merv. I love yeah, that it's idea. A, it's a QR code. So, yeah, so you, yeah, yeah, yeah. So your smart, your smartphone will scan it. it just takes you to a web page, really. But um, I, I wanted to do something sort of more interactive for a while. And I looked at um, AR, which is like augmented reality, where you can you can put a picture in and you put your phone over it and it plays a video. But that wasn't, it wasn't feasible, unfortunately. So, I mean, QR codes are not that new. But it really, what it, it came about from my own sort of bad habits, from, if you like, from reading, where I'll, I'll sit and reading a book and I'll have my phone to hand and I'll, I'll sort of stop reading if I, if I come to an interesting bit it might mention a certain place or if it's a football book it might mention a match and I'll think oh well you know I fancy watching that so I'll, I'll, I'll flick YouTube on and watch the match and and I thought if, if anyone else has that same sort of bad habit if you like of reading it, it might be handy to just shorten the process a bit you know and take them straight to the match because I know my, my wife will sort of look up and say are you reading the book or you're on your phone what are you doing and say well I'm a bit of both you know so I thought why not maybe make that yeah, just 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 a, something a bit different but um yeah I wanted to make the book in, in general I, I like to try and put some different things in in the books that I do sometimes it'll be little snippets from 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 the news or something like that and, yeah yeah I like and, it yeah and this one yeah this one really I suppose is, is a bit of a mishmash of of different things you know i didn't want it to be just a chronological order of of seasons and matches at the at the, at the ground in 30 years i didn't also didn't want it to be full of just a bunch of facts and figures um no. so it's just yeah it's, it's a mishmash there's some some sort of it's a personal take i think all yeah, the there's best... a few, few personal stories as well in there yeah. yeah and i like that in there there's got some great photos one's just made me laugh listeners from the early 90s is Andy May's dad sitting on, um, yeah, I, I don't yeah. even know who this bloke was, um, no, Merv, it, wasn't, no. it certainly wasn't his dad, but he became known, this chap ran on the pitch for younger yeah. listeners, um, he staged a one-man protest at the poor yes. displays yeah. at the time, there is nothing new at Millwall listeners, no. you know, disgruntlement with your manager is not a new event, um, and this guy ran on the pitch with a very 1990s suit kind of, um, you know, look, and sat on the pitch, and there's this great photo of, of Andy May, one of our. Um, <laughs> I, I quite liked Andy May. I, thought I loved Andy May. Great player, yeah. Good player um, in the Captain Morgan strip, and he's a, he's kind of got his hands on his hips, looking at the man became known as his uh, his dad. You can see a resemblance there, can't you? Definitely. I, I think it was the Lion <laughs> Roars. I think the Lion Roars has to take credit. I think Paul Paul said at the Lion Roars, probably. <laughs> I think he was still doing it then. Took, took, yeah, he was doing the took the credit for that. Um, and yeah, the, just the, the picture was brilliant. Uh, and the look on Andy May's face, if to say, Oh, dad, you know, you're showing me up here. So, <laughs> and the bloke just plonked himself on the floor. And he's like saying, He's in his, in his, in his suit and smart trousers and shit. Obviously, come straight from the office from work. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, with a few pints in between and decided it, you know, whatever he was watching wasn't good. I think it, it might have been a midweek, midweek, I think it was Paul, Paul Vail, I think it was. Yeah, I'm sure it was. We're getting yeah. uh, free one at home, listeners, by Paul so, Vail. Yeah. So. Uh, under Mick McCarthy, and I always thought it was an overrated manager. But anyway, um, mm. you can imagine the disgruntlement listeners. So this guy decided to stage a one-man protest, which you don't get that anymore, do you? You don't get one-man no, protest. No. More's the pity. More's the pity. Yeah, because you can um, track him down. I don't. I think. I think the line was to try and track him down. But yeah, I mean, if he's out there, it'd be great. If he's out there, get him if anyone knows him, <laughs> he's nearly he's thirty years. Thirty years on, if he's still around. But yeah. <laughs> 
Three decades, listeners. Um, the stories are manifold throughout it all. I mean, I'm just looking at um, Kulkov and Uran here. This is 95, 96. So this was one of the another glamour event of the, um, <laughs> the, the of the mid 90s. We were little did we all know at the time that we were teetering on the edge of a financial precipice. And I don't think the the arrival of the two Russians really helped our our bank balance by any means. No, definitely um, not. But they they were so frustrating because you could just tell that, but for the but for the, the Boney M line, but for the drinking, the whole ring, and the lusting, or whatever else they got up to, <laughs> they'd have been good players, wouldn't they? You know, there was two quality yeah, turns yeah, in they, there. They, they did show some some flashes at times, but um, but yeah, some of the stories. And I actually I spoke to Alex Ray one of my previous books and asked him, you know, what was it like? And he just said they were sort of they were bragging about how much money they were getting paid, really, and pretty much, yeah, yeah pretty much admitting brazenly admitting that they were just 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 there for just just going through the motions and just collecting their money and felt they were a, a, felt they were sort of a notch above everyone else and swaggered around the place and um i, I think um i think we um i think we, we i think we had a, one of their translators on the payroll as well and and yeah. i think alex i think it was alex that said that and it turned out that in see, both of them spoke perfectly good english <laughs> and yet they're this, they're this Russian trans- so i think we got tucked well and truly tucked up from all angles on that one but um this was, uh, peter mead wasn't it, it, was, it, it you know anyone that ever says well don't try and live the dream or whatever the football cliche is of the time now we we did have a go in the mid 90s and it very nearly led to the extinction of the club so yes best, it did yeah. let's be careful what you wish for yeah. um i mean and on that subject obviously that you've got here the 90s 96 97 season which was a, a shit show i think that's probably a good description <laughs> yeah. you've got it in the um in the book here um so just to make the point that the book is not all fame and glory it's not all good times it's it covers the the amount of Millwall events and incidents. Yeah, I wanted to sort of, I set myself this task of picking out one particular game from each season. So obviously that was quite easy for some of the seasons, but others it was it was pretty tricky. But at the same time, like I say, I wanted it to be sort of warts and all. And and sometimes there was a game which perhaps was pretty unremarkable, but went down in history as being a real turning point. And one of them, I think, being like Neil Harris's debut, because yeah. I mean, there in itself was a was a great story. Um, yeah. Uh, where, well, I said, it was never confirmed, but legend has it, Billy Bonds, who was manager at the time, didn't didn't really rate Harris. No. Um, we had him on in from Cambridge City. He didn't, he didn't really fancy him. So, in, so rumour has it, he sort of threw him into the team, thinking that he would um, struggle. And that swim, sink point. rather than swim. Yeah, 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 to try and prove a point. And he did the reverse. He, he did okay. And, of course, the rest of that is history. But I try to think about that game and that... The, 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 just that moment when he came on as a substitute you know, and, and all what, what lay ahead of him, you know, as both a player and a manager. And, and that for me was quite a, a nice sort of turning point. And then there's another, I think one of the games I picked out was when we got beat 3 0 home by Fulham. Yes, but, um, yeah. yeah, the, the, the logic behind ago, that yeah. was, yeah, the logic behind that was, was how quickly football can change. Because I think about just over a year before that, we were playing Rochdale at home, which with all respect to Rochdale, I mean, it's to playing Rochdale at home is like the epitome of, You've hit rock bottom in football in, in many ways, you know, and you're thinking, and then suddenly, suddenly we're, we're playing Fulham at home. It's a midweek game. The place is packed. The atmosphere is brilliant. It's live on Sky. And and for, for 45 minutes, we, we gave them the fright of their lives. You know, we, we could have been two or three goals to the good. And we yeah. were on the, the, the very brink of a of a place in the playoffs to get in the Premier League. So it, even though the, the end result was, was, was a bad one, for me, that was a, was a good marker for how, how quickly... 
we we got so, come so far as well, and it's worth sort of looking back and thinking, well, okay, the result wasn't great, but you know, it, it, it was still a bit of a landmark. It was one of the great nights. I mean, we we often talk about the atmosphere and the new ground. The new ground. There I go again. This is <laughs> thirty years old now, um, but it was designed with acoustics in mind. The the actual design of the stadium was lifted some of the design of um, Ibrox Park in Glasgow. That's right. Ra- yeah, yeah. Uh, Glasgow Rangers had not mm. long redeveloped their stadium using um, the company, uh, the same company that would go on to design yeah. it then, and they. Because there was a desire for it to be something like Coldblow Lane, which obviously is, is atmosphere on its day, because it wasn't always yeah. great at Coldblow Lane, young no. persons. Um, not when there was about 2,000 people in there, like I was yeah. in a couple of times in the 70s. But um, the, the new stadium was designed with acoustics in mind. I, I sometimes think we take our atmosphere so much for granted, Merv. Yeah. You know, you read online after a game, oh, the atmosphere was shit today. Well, mm. you know, you want to go to some other grounds. and Yeah, definitely, yeah. Yeah. You know what we take for granted is 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 eye bulging stuff from from other other clubs' perspective, but we well, are yeah, used got... to. I don't know yeah. what you get used to. Yeah, you do. Stuff. Yeah, I was watching was watching some uh, Arsenal match the other week. I can't remember who it was now. I noticed they got about twenty five blokes behind one of the goals, all wearing all black, and apparently yeah. that's their that's their little crew, which has got together. It's their to, ultra crew. Yeah, yeah to, to improve the atmosphere. The, the, the Ashburn. It sounds like an Enid Blyton, the Ashburton gang or something they call it. I don't know what it's like. But, you know, the, the whole, th- I mean, and the, the, obviously the stories of the, the Palace Ultras is legendary, how they sort of meet up every week to, to exchange song sheets and, and designs for funny banners. Plan a banner yeah, flag. I mean, yeah, I mean, and the fact that they're proud of that, I think, says all you need to know about, about Palace, really. But, you know, it's just everything that's wrong with football. And I think because Millwall has always been so, it is spontaneous, and that's what, makes it so good when it's good it's you know it's brilliant when it's good and you notice it when it's when it's quiet you know you hear so many managers saying oh you know it's a tough place to come and play or it's mm. a tough place to get a result and I'm, I'm i was pleased we, we, we sort of silenced the crowd you know it's, it's such a big thing even now it's just to silence absolutely the crowd, you know and that's something to be definitely to be proud of i think i think it's the spontaneity is a good choice of word because often mm. um so, you know, I was thinking the other day of um, moments where the den ignites is often for slightly irrational reasons. It can often be in a game where there's no nothing obviously huge at stake and it'll be some moment of injustice or a player that gives it mm. some to the crowd. It could be anything. And suddenly you'll have it, you'll have it on, it will, it will blow up. It's like um, yeah, I think a good example. Like a kerosene or something, you know. It's definitely, right. yeah. A good example, I think, again, I think one of the matches I picked, which was the Stoke win, when we were down so to nine look, men, just looking at, yeah. just looking at it, yeah. yeah. Um, and that was it was just another match, and I think we were at the time we were a bit of, we were preoccupied with getting to Wembley in the autograph, yeah, sure. I think. Yeah, and yeah. we had a, obviously a young squad, a very sort of paper thin squad, which I think it had been affected by injuries and suspensions. And Stoke were obviously a big fish in a in a little pond at the time, and desperate to get out. And you know, we'd yeah. accepted getting beat two or three, and suddenly we're down to nine men. And I just remember the atmosphere just lifted, uh, just uh, and. Stoke couldn't even get, couldn't lay a glove on us. It was, it was brilliant. And that's exactly as you described there. You know, sometimes it's something really innocuous that can turn a, a, a nothing game into a game to remember down, down at Millwall. I've, I've sometimes toyed with the idea of what would be the perfect Millwall match. And it often it has to involve some some early injustice, someone getting sent off un- unjustly yeah. or yeah. Um, a referee that's clearly, you know, bent and against you. Um, mm. And you need certain ingredients to, to really make the the, um, the the volatile cocktail come to life. And this was probably yeah. such a game. Mm. Um, young young squad, talented yeah. squad, 
and it came to life. Um, mm. And there is, um, you got some, you got a, a, a QR code. I better get the lingo right, listeners. A <laughs> QR code to take you to that 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 very match. Two mm. over Stoke. That's fantastic. Um, I love, I love, that. I love that idea. And so it would go on. We got the the years of um, Fiopathetis uh, promotion. These were good times. The the turn mm-hmm. of the century. Um, good times. Mill five, Oldham Mill, legendary game when we went up as champions of, of um, the third division. Of, it was mm-hmm. well, division two, I think it was called. And then the near miss promotion season. Um, it's 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 a it's a roller coaster following Millwall, and and there's, there's, you know you can't talk about three decays at the den without the the bad times as well as the good times. But I'm just looking at the the, the Millwall one Wolves nil game from 2001-2, which was a wonderful. I'm, yeah, wonderful I was going to mention that. I think you talk to some sort of Millwall fans of a certain age, and that that one always crops up. I think yeah. that's when we realised how good night matches. Because obviously night matches at the old den were legendary, weren't they? There was something. There was they a were, real, yeah, There was yeah. something about them. If it was if it was a big match, and if it, uh, and um, I mean one of my favourites at the old ground was the, the promotion season eighty seven eighty eight, and we played Birmingham at home, and I think it was the first midweek game of the season, and um, we went one nil down, and we looked we didn't look very good at all, and then, then we sort of clawed our way back into it. I think we equalised. I think just before half time, and we got two late goals, and and I think it was only about six or seven thousand in the ground. Yeah. And it sounded and felt once those once that once those lights came on and and, and sort of the place was shrouded in darkness. The, the, the atmosphere was just unbelievable for, for six or seven thousand sort of noise they could make. But that Wolves game, I mean, the the Claridge penalty, um, you know, oh, it was remember, yeah, the tension building up to that in taking that spot kick, knowing how important it was. I think at the time Wolves were second and we were third in the table. And yeah, I mean, it literally, you know, it's a cliche, a white hot atmosphere. But it did you could actually feel. The heat in the place that night, no, that the atmosphere generated. Yeah, it was it was electricity, mm. um, and also you had the, the the backstory, I suppose you'd call it, of um, Steve Claridge, this 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 player at the very mm. much at the end of his seat, thirty six was his shirt, mm. and he was thirty six yeah. years old. Been around as a character, football mm. character. Um, been around the track many times, and there he was taking one of our crucial penalties. Mm. Um, and the rest of that season is, um, you know, in, lost in infamy now, I suppose. But that was yeah, a wonderful, mm. wonderful, wonderful night. Um, and then obviously we had the kind of um, the darkness of, um, well, I suppose we had the FA Cup run there. I was going to say the darkness of the 2000s. It started off quite well, didn't it? We were under Dennis Wise with, you know, the, the Mother's Day Massacre, which was another standout moment. And then the yeah. FA Cup run to the Cup final. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I think, never would have dreamed that would have happened. Would no, you? I think I think when I mentioned that season in the book, I think it was just a bizarre season because we we looked so so much better than the, the two teams that actually played in the playoff final, which was Palace and West Ham. Yeah, we got the better, we got the better of both of them over the, in the yeah. league, and because of that Cup final, which obviously we we enjoyed so much and we were so desperate to get to, and, and, and it was just just a great occasion. But I think because of that, we probably missed out probably one of our best ever chances of getting in the Premier League. And I think I sort of toyed with the idea at the end of would we have sort of like sacrificed one for the other or, you know, had we, yeah. had, we had we managed to get to the playoffs and perhaps beat beat Palace in the playoff final, beat West Ham 4-1 at home and get to the FA Cup final. Was I asking too much? But all that was possible. And But of course, it ended up with our, with our you know, playing in Europe for the first time as well. But he was a... a yeah. A, a, a time that you can't believe looking back now, I don't think we realise just how, how good that, that, that sort of time was. No, I mean, it goes, the, the, the Millwall story goes in cycles, usually about mm. five years cycles. Yeah, and, yeah. 
And yeah, you're right. I mean, we, we, we stood on the brink of, of potential Premier League football if only would have seized the chance. Mm. And the, But as it was, with the Cup final, we qualified for Europe, which you wouldn't <laughs> do nowadays. No. Um, I still love the fact we're the only South London club to ever qualify for Europe. <laughs> I don't think Palace yeah. ever have, have they? <laughs> no, this is, yeah, and I think that's, I think I make that, make that point. I quite enjoy making that point in the book. But um, I was chatting to a, a yeah, I was, I was chatting to a friend of mine who's a, a big Brighton fan the other week who was getting all excited about it. He said, oh, I can't believe we're in Europe. I said, oh, boy, we've done that. So that's nearly 20 years ago since we did that. Said, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, boring. Yeah. You're only just in Europe, are you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, so not all is cracked up to me. No. I still think the um, the sight of the UEFA flag flying on the Docker stand, as we now call it, was one of the yeah. most surreal sights I've ever seen. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, that's one you know one image I would, I, mm. I would take with me for the rest of my days, I think. Mm. Um, and then, you know, the rest of the 2000s, you, you got the, uh, a 4 0 win over Rotherham in 2007. It was fairly. Um, it's fairly sparse stuff until we started getting into the Leeds rivalry of the late um, 20, 2009, 10, and that, that kind of era, the, like the semi final games. Yeah, when, when Leeds ended up in the, Yeah, yeah. yeah when, so when Leeds ended up in the, um, in, in the third division, whatever you want to call it, was, which was very comical. Yeah. Um, to sort of play them in the playoffs, to, to draw them in the playoffs when we hadn't managed to actually win a playoff match up until that point, I think, and then to play them at home and for Harris to score the, the only goal. But. Um, so yeah, that was an easy that was an easy pick for that season. But I mentioned in the book about obviously the, the second leg at Leeds. I think most of my wall supporters would have thought we, we were up against it, only having been one 0 ahead. Yeah, we and took that, a one 0 lead there, didn't we? Yeah, yeah one 0 lead there, and then Leeds get a penalty, and you think, oh, you know, that, this is it. And then I think Fordy saves it, doesn't he? And they they score, mm. and you you, you you expect that that onslaught from from Leeds at their place, don't you? Which we got. Yeah. And, um, in in the the two the sort of the two. The thrilling games we had there when we won four three, we were two nil up and they come back to three two and we beat them. And then I think the following season we were two up again and we lost three two. But there's that sort of onslaught which you're waiting for, and then of course up pops Jimmy Abdu and and, and wins the game, which is probably yeah, one an of unlikely goal scorer, an unlikely goal scorer. Yeah, he was, he was yeah. things that never never a goal scorer. No, Jimmy, that, but, pic- um... that picture of him celebrating, that picture of him sat on the floor with his arms outspread, is one of the one of That's the legendary mural images, I think. I was looking at another legendary mill image, which comes from the following season, 2009 to 10, which was a promotion season. Mm. Um, this is the image of Robbo in the uh, in the tunnel. In the tunnel, the yeah. Bellowing, <laughs> bellowing at full full cry there, and as, as the two teams lined up to come out mm. for the playoff game with uh, a head bandaged Steve Morrison just behind yeah. him. Yeah, that's... <laughs> uh, wonderful image. Yeah, I mean, you talk about atmospheres. I remember um, re- recording that because obviously it was live on Sky. I remember recording that's it and right. watching it back. And of course they caught because they, they they with Sky being Sky they stick microphones everywhere, don't they? So yeah, um, so you caught the full fury of Robbo's war cry as he came out, and that's apologised for the language, which was brilliant. And then just I mean, you say you talk about atmospheres at night matches at Millwall. I mean, that I think was something time, yeah, it was amazing. The, 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 you know, the, you talk about the cliche of the twelfth man that there was absolutely no doubt that night that the crowd then yeah. got got him over the line. Um, and I think he had a situation where Huddersfield players were going over to take a throw in and. People were running down the, the running down the walkways to have a go at to, to abuse them. Basically. Yeah, just, yeah, just shout yeah. at them. And there was yeah. a, I think the, the, the cameras caught um, the, the Huddersfield manager um, Lee Clark. I nearly did it again. Lee, Lee Clark. 
Lee yeah. Clark, yeah. And I think he actually, he, I think he just, he turned and sort of he exasperated, sort of said like hell was bells. But at the time, I think it, it looked like he was saying, I fucking hate this place. Uh, that was, you know, but even so, just he, he looked pissed off. The play, Huddersfield players didn't know what hit them. Um, and I think they thought they could come there and maybe nick a 1-0 or nick it on penalties. But for the minute... There is a long, there's a long list of managers, not real away managers and mm. opponents, really not liking the uh, the stadium. I remember Joe mm. Royal always moaning when he was managing um, Manchester City back when they mm. weren't. Yeah. When they, when they weren't a global force, listeners might yeah. seem strange, though, but they were in the third division with us. <laughs> and I think it was it was it was the, the kind of fundamental humiliation. I think Leeds never got over this Merv, of, of, mm. of major name clubs that should be playing in Europe getting dragged down the old Kent Road into. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for a pounding, yeah, there's something definitely. deeply humiliating about the fact they have to be there in the first place, let alone yeah. try and get a result. But I mean, I Joe Royal was another one didn't like it. Yeah, I think clubs like that they go to a lot of grounds and they 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 they, seem, they assume they're going to get some sort of grudging respect, but obviously it doesn't happen at Millwall. Doesn't work that way. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't, doesn't work that way at all. Work that way. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> Um, and so we go through promotion, obviously, into the championship. We win at Wembley. You've got, you've got the game against a uh, great game, 3 0 win over Crystal Palace, which uh, another day where, where the atmosphere um, just took the Palace players, overtook the players' uh, heads almost. I, mm. I remember um, the TV pundit, what's his name? I can't think of his name there. Clinton, Morris, Clinton Morrison. That losing losing the plot out there because um, they, were, they were wearing all black and he had. Um, Orange boots on. Who's getting called Daffy right. Duck? That's and right. Yeah, yeah. It's like this theatre of the cruel. You know, it, was, yeah, it, it yeah. really, really got him, and he lost the yeah. plot completely. Mm. Um, wonderful, wonderful stuff. Um, <laughs> so it would go on. Um, playoff win twenty ten, and then obviously um, cup running uh, the third division cup running. We had uh, Leicester and, and um, mm. one nil. Got that here. That was a wonderful atmosphere to get in the Leicester yes, home game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's incredible a, atmosphere. There's a clip going around on YouTube. I, I don't know, and of that, of the, I don't know. It was good timing, but it was the build-up to that goal. I don't know why they chose to um to, to switch their phone at that particular moment, but it's actually the build-up to to the goal. And and this, again, the roar that greeted that goal, like it sort of distorted the distorted the sound on the phone. It's it was <laughs> brilliant. It was really yeah. It's just. Just, just brilliant. A mate, a, a mate of mine, um, I used to work with him, lived on, it wasn't Millwall, he, he supported somewhere else, Spurs. He, but he lived on the other side of um, Southwark Park, and he said it sounded like an earthquake when, yeah, the, yeah. Goal <laughs> when the goal went in. It felt yeah. almost si- seismic in terms yeah. of um, the impact. And you, as you say, you've got the other side of the coin. Listeners, there's always the other side. There's the 3 0 loss at home to Fulham, and that takes us into more. Recent times, the Everton game turn the fucking screen off. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's Neil Harris. There's mm. a repeat, a repeat personality across these three decades, really, isn't he? Neil Harris is. Yeah, you can't is, can't escape it, really. Huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and so it goes. Um, it's a wonderful, wonderful production. Um, I take my hat off to you for coming. And there's even a nice tribute to John Berylson. At the end, yeah, of, I thought that, yeah, years. I thought that had That's to nice. be done. I think, yeah, yeah, absolutely, and uh, a little bit of uh, statistics at the end of it. Yeah, um, really nice production. Victor Publishing, dear listeners, VictorPublishing.co.uk. There's a shop on there. You will also see if you go onto the website. Not only can you buy that book, Thirty Years at the Den, Merv's book. A wide range of other stuff you're doing now, Merv. I'm, I'm, I, I follow Victor Publishing, uh, um, despite never always promising Merv I was going to write something for him, never doing it. Um, I do follow the the um, 
the products. You're getting quite a range of stuff there, music stuff and, and other clubs as well on, on, on the um on the on the website. Yeah, I set it up about three years ago and um just encourage people who perhaps have you know, there's a lot of people like yourself that, that, that wants to write a book or have already written one and um don't really get a look in with your, your, your traditional publishers because all they're interested in is, is easy easy sales you know sort of yeah reality tv stars and, and that sort of thing um and i thought felt there was a lot of people out there that have, that have written books or have got you know some people who perhaps done books maybe 15 20 years ago and they're just not for sale anymore so we we, we sort of thought try and provide something for them to get their books out there and it's worked quite well you know um we've, we've got like you say quite a, a variety out there now um a lot of them have come from just people i've met over the years or sort of friends or associates and stuff that have done different sort of books we, photographers even like there's a guy who photographed every football ground in the 80s um, right. he lost he lost a load of them but what we what he saved we um we put into a book which is a collection of images from from football grounds in the 80s which is which is an, it's a nice one that sort of fits in with the whole, you know, looking back at the, the 30 years of the Den thing, really, as well. You know, sort of the, the pre-new the, the pre stadium era, if you like. Yeah. yeah, there's quite a nice range of stuff on there now. I like the idea of, of encouraging non-writer, I don't know, that's probably the wrong way to put it, but, you know, somebody that has not written um, previously um, mm. on, on any kind of professional level, um it's I, th I think the world of publishing has a certain intimidation factor and this i think is a great way to try and um well you know just maybe reduce that a little bit listeners you're listening to merv you can talk to merv listen to him you can if you've got something that you want to put out there get in touch with him it's it's a great idea victorpublishing.co.uk if you want to um put anything out talk to merv and i'm sure that um he can work with you um but yeah good range of products on there Merv. so um hats off that's off to you for that. Um, so, yeah, the latest edition is 30, Mills Three Decades at the Den. It's available for $9.99 or $12.50 if you want Mills, um signature on it. It's well worth a read, and it's got the uh, QR code approach, which means you can check out the video footage um, to go with the, ma the, the match that you're looking at. It's a really nice idea. So um, big thank you to Merv for... Uh, talking about the book today mate well, well thank you very much thanks Nick. thanks a lot now we can't um close the show without having our we've already answered one question but we're going to bounce you with another question now Murph. okay another, pun, another pundit question <laughs> <laughs> no pressure no pressure <laughs> um this is another one from england in the 1990s out of the premier league in the 1990s this is a flying dutchman who stole and then broke the hearts of all those at the city ground um, a maverick on and off the pitch. He famously refused to play and was sold when the Reds and Nottingham Forest were relegated. Um, so he's a Dutch player, played for Forest in the mid late nineties. Went to Celtic. Um, I think I know it. I think I know from came from Dutch football. Uh, final breeder, uh, Fenerbahce mm. in Turkey. Most famously, Forest seventy one appearances, thirty six goals. Then to Celtic. 69 goals, 40, uh, 69 appearances, 44 goals for the Celts. Played for the Dutch national team 46 times, scoring 14 goals, 1994 to the 2004. Did you think you know the answer to this one, Merv? I think I know it. I don't know if I'd better pronounce it properly, but is it Pierre van Hoydonk? Pierre van Hoydonk. Yeah. Well yeah. I got that and I got Nigel Martin, which is a bit that's weird. That's two out of two, Merv. Yeah, no, yeah. I'll, I'll go with that. I'll leave. I'll, I'll, quit. <laughs> I'll quit on two out of two. 
Pointnetgames.co.uk, listeners, that's your board game. Um, big thank you to Merv now. We're going to play out today's show with an interview I did with another um, Victor Publishing author from his stable of writers. Um, it's Vinnie Shell who's produced a, a really amusing book on the um, the ups and downs and characters that you meet in grassroots under 15s football. So I'm going to uh, say uh, thank you very much to Merv and take you over now to, to Vinnie. Arrivederci, Millwall. Bye for now. Achtung, Mil- I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Bye. So it's a huge welcome on the show now to a man who's done something that I've always said I would do but never, ever have. Big welcome to the author of a new uh, book about grassroots football it's Millwall fan Vinny Shell. Welcome to the show, Vinny. Yeah, welcome. Pleased to be on. Nice to have you, mate. Um, I'm just looking at your new book, which is available at the moment. It's called The Gaffer, listeners, and it's available on Merv Payne's victorpublishing.co.uk. It's available on there for eleven ninety nine. And as the as the, uh, the 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 blurb says here, Vinny, it's grassroots football at its best and worst and it's a fascinating account you've done here mate um well done for for writing as you were just saying off air this is a lifetime's work so to speak for you yeah um i mean i'm a uefa b coach so starting right. at a really early age um started with my son alex he was about four he went to a football session there was about one 30 kids one bloke um and he just asked me if I joined in. I'd played football at a decent level, Kent League, and just got into coaching that way. But then in the end, just went through. Um, I was reserve team manager at Ashford, Tunbridge Wells, Lordswood, and also yeah. assistant manager at, dare I say it, Crystal Palace Ladies. I saw. I, I, that's before I, I started speaking to Vinnie listeners. I thought I, I didn't realise you're a Millwall fan. I hadn't read the the, the prologue properly and also was crystal palace ladies so i was kind of steeled myself for a conversation with a palace fan and it turns out he's normal through and through so that's much made the conversation much easier um but it's a, it's a kind of um 
it's a how would you describe it i mean i, I was gonna i put down a, a semi-fictionalized it's clearly based on the truth but it's the uh the, it's a descriptive piece about a, a, an under 15 side 2017 to 18 based on the truth on taking it but fictionalized around the truth would that be a, a description you'd use it's it's probably fair to say it's based on experiences yeah and through those experiences i've just tended to put a storyline around that so when i say it's a lifetime to work it really is and i've just built it up from there really your experience is working with with kids football at the the grassroots level this is under yeah, 15 yeah. sliders as we've said here i love the description this it's, uh, it's on the front cover of the book here listeners it's called uh, the gaffer um but the, the second piece is a tale of laughter tears alcohol Burgers, flatulence, wind-ups, banter, bants, garbs, angry dog walkers, and dog shit Dave. I mean, that's that's got to be an intro there for you, Vinny. I love that. It, it does capture the humour of the whole scene, mate, doesn't it? Yeah, and like I say, anyone who's been involved in grassroots football, it is quite funny at times. I can imagine. Really with kids. Yeah. Standing in the pouring rain in, in all sorts of, um, you know, uh, fields and whatnot, I imagine. I did love the, the opening sentence, though, really got me. And I, I thought, actually, it kind of captures the whole book, which is, I think you, you, you wrote that your opening sentence, I love football. And you have to have a love of football to... A to to do what you've done here with the working with the uh, the kids football Vinny, but also to produce the book. The love of the game comes through loud and clear. Oh, definitely, and and that's that's why most of us do get into it. But I was just fortunate enough to, that it just progressed, and I never yeah. set out to try and reach the top. And another little uh, just something I was involved in just through the football, Steve Birchmore who was then head of um, recruitment at Millwall, he asked yeah. me to scout for him. Okay, um, okay. Yeah. And interesting fact, one of um, my youngest son, Aidan, he played in the same Millwall team as Sid Nelson. Right, okay, yeah. Sid, Sid obviously briefly captained the the, uh, the main side under, under under Ian Holloway, of course. That's, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Must, the fulfilment side of it in that sense must be quite... Um, that must be the reason why you do it fundamentally, Vinny, I'd guess. that There must be something very rewarding about it. Yeah, it's def definitely... I've, I've never, ever been one of these managers who sets out to win things at all costs. And no. I think even when I was managing at Kent Youth League and um, Kent League, it was always based around improving players and making yeah. the players better. And I've always had the firm belief that if you do that, then you will make better teams. The hero of the book, if that's the right term to use, listeners, is one Vinnie Smith. Um, and the author is Vinnie Shell. So I'm going to guess that Vinnie Smith is loosely based on Vinnie Shell. Vinnie, is that correct? <laughs> um, yeah, not completely. Not completely. <laughs> <laughs> I guaranteed I've worked with so many people in football. It, it, I had to be very, very careful what name I chose. And in the end, I'm just going to bump with my own and, and take the flat. <laughs> it's a wonderful uh, book. It, it does capture the, um, the the day by day. It's a day, kind of a diary style approach you've done here, really, Vinny. Isn't it? I mean, it's, it's a storyline yeah. of the, the Dalworth United under 15 side, 2017 to 18 season. I won't. We won't have any spoilers on this show, listeners. I'm not going to tell you how it finishes. You've got to buy the book to find out what happens with, with Dalworth United over that season. 
Um, I, I was quite fascinated. I mean, obviously, we've mentioned the I Love Football opening, but also the, I think you use a sentence in in the book that you football management or coaching, as, as uh, you want to put it there, is a battle of wits. And you, you, you get a lot out of that kind of, um, I, I wouldn't call it a game of chess, but it's something like it, isn't it? It's, it's, a, it's a contest of willpowers and, and, and um, battle of minds almost. Yeah, and, and funny enough, watching Millwall play at the moment, it's um, difficult <laughs> to be just a fan. Yes, and, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you can be really, really critical at times. And it, it's difficult to switch off the two. Yeah, I think what comes over in the book, and you know, I've seen, we've all seen the, the TV documentaries on various clubs, you know, all levels. Um, but the management of the various personalities, even in this under-15 side, and there's some really nicely drawn characters here. We've got the... Um, the, uh, the 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 twins from uh, the nightmare twins, the Hayes twins, who are boxing and MMA fans, and um, Billy Belafonte, a lover of takeaways, all sorts of characters. I mean, it, managing these various personalities is is key, really, isn't it? But and the best manager, I, I imagine, tap into the individuals and, and and what motivates them. Well, yeah, it's funny. The Hayes twins, Alex and Aiden. That's my two sons' names. Okay. <laughs> Again, I've taken a crafty little, uh, yeah, dig at them too. And I don't think... Only, only your dad can write this stuff in that case. Um, yeah. Billy, Billy Belafonte made me, I don't know why I'll get Harry Belafonte the singer, but um, yeah, lover of takeaways. And it's got some high comic moments through the, the course of the uh, of, of the book. I mean, were you a natural for this, um, Vinny? I mean, did, you had no previous experience. Did you just kind of acquire this talent for... Um, you know, as you put it, you never know you might be quite good at it. Did you, you? You clearly didn't know you'd be quite good at it when you started out in in the football uh, coaching management. No, but I, I was fortunate to work with some really, really good people. Um, Mark Patterson, the ex Gillingham player, yeah, fantastic yeah. coach, learned a lot from him. Simon Clifford, who did the Brazilian football, Brazilian soccer. Yeah. Yeah. Work with him. So I've worked with some really, really good people along the way. Um, and, and that moulded me, I yeah. think it's fair to say. Yeah. So just just learning from others. And I think as a manager and a coach, you've got to be willing to learn from others because it's the only way that you'll ever improve. I would I would suffer with what they call imposter syndrome. I'd be forever doubting my my um uh you know a bit of my right to stand in front of somebody else and tell them how to play the game. I mean, did did you find that difficult when you started out that you you almost don't believe yourself, or are you a natural kind of um, leader in that sense? I think um I think I was able, although I was a fairly decent player, I've coached yeah. very very good players. Um, but I think it, I always, I never doubted my own ability as a football coach. Right, OK. Um, and I think that's where I got away with it to a degree. Um, but I've, I've had some terrible moments. Um, when I took over Tunbridge Wells, I think we had eight games left and um, we only needed four points to be promoted. And I got one point out of the eight games. <laughs> It's relegation form, really. <laughs> it was definitely. So, but all I did was I ripped up it, ripped up the rule book, and then the following season introduced an under twenty three side, and right, right. full of kids, and and that was probably my best ever season coaching. I mean, what comes over loud and clear through the book, 
and I think it's almost the the concluding um, part part of the book is the reward that you've got personally out of um, out of management, and you know it shines through speaking to you now. I mean, it's, would would you would you recommend others try it? I mean, obviously, grassroots football is always short of people, and yet the game depends so much on on kids coming through, doesn't it? And it's such a contrast between the highs and lows of football that the most essential part is often the least um, resourced, you know, yeah. the park, park side of it. Yeah, anyone can do it. You've just got to be dedicated. You've you've got to be really passionate about it. Yeah, and you've got, yeah. You've got to care as well, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the book is it's a, it's a proper book, listeners. We're talking about 300 pages. That must have taken... A lot of work to put together, uh, Vinny. I mean, I, I take my hat off to you. As I've said already, I've never ever. I make a start a lot on stuff and then stop. But you've kept at it, and I think that's that's. Have you have you written anything on this scale previously, or is this a first time for for the, being uh, being an author? Yeah, that, that's the first book I've written. Um, I started it during COVID. Funny enough, and, uh... <laughs> time on your hands. Are you, have you got any others in mind, or is this is this the first and the last for you, mate? No, I'm going to do a follow-up to that, but um, okay. I've also written two comedy scripts as well. Okay. Um, one based in a school, which I've spent the last 16 years working in schools. Yeah, um, yeah. The other one's The Tavern, which is based in a, a pub in 1665 at the time of the Great Plague. Right, okay. So, That's an interesting idea. That's an interesting yeah. idea. And I've linked that in with COVID very much so. But um, both of those are with a um, production company and I'm just waiting to hear. Fingers crossed. Right. Yeah. Well, then you, you, you hear Vinnie Shell's name first, listeners, on Acton Millwall. It's been a, a massive pleasure to, to talk to you, Vinnie. And I recommend the book, listeners. It's called The Gaffer. Grassroots football is best and worst. Um, flatulence wind ups bands. Someone read it again. Dog walkers and, and and dog shit Dave. Who was dog shit Dave? I didn't get to that bit. I, I, I quite like that that name. Dog shit Dave. Yeah. Explain who dog shit Dave was. I won't <laughs> spoil it, but you'll get it when you read the book. <laughs> <laughs> Buy the book, listeners. Yeah. Eleven ninety nine. It's on VictorPublishing.co.uk. Um, Vinny, it's been a pleasure talking to you, mate. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. And can I just say a big, big Thank you to Merv Payne of Victor Absolutely. Yeah. The man's a legend. Absolute legend. I, I endorse everyone, that. I'm, it, yeah. No, go. no, I was just to say, if you have got an idea for a book, that's the man to go and see. I was just going to make the same point because his website, which I'm looking at at the moment, victorpublishing.co.uk, actually makes that invitation. So if you feel that you've got a book inside or you've written something and you, you want to work with... Merv, as, as Vinny's just said there, he's, he's a he's a Millwall fan, number one. And he makes it happen, Vinny, doesn't he? I mean, he's, he's a very, very, um, you know, useful man to know in that way. So I, I, I second second that emotion. Um, big hats off to Merv Payne. Um, Vinny, it's been a pleasure to talk to you, mate. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks very much, Nick. Thank you for having me. And uh, just to repeat, it's called The Gaffer. It's 11.99. Get it on victorpublishing.co.uk. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.